Hi, everybody. I'm Greg Proops, and I'm getting close with Mike Marbach. Mm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode, a very special episode of the Getting Close with Mike Marback podcast. Tonight, on a very special Getting Close. <laughs> I used to I used to love that when the, the guys would do that, the voiceover guys. Tonight, on a very special Saved by the Bell, the college years. Uh, this actually is a very special episode, particularly for me. Uh, I got to sit down and spend an hour with someone from a, a team of people that pretty much helped to shape where my life would go. Uh, that person is Greg Proops. Greg spent years on a little show called Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard it mentioned several times. Uh, I know I've said it. Uh, I used to watch the show growing up because it used to be on Comedy Central, uh, the earlier days of Comedy Central, and they used to play it over and over and over again. And I'd watch it every chance that I got. Uh, now I'm the education director for an improv theater. Coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, so this was a, a personal throw for me to get, even get to talk to him. He said that we would record in between his his sets, uh, which was a, a 7.30 p.m. and a 10 p.m. show. I got a ticket for the 7.30 show because, you know, I want to. he's coming to town, he's doing the podcast for me. Of course, I want to support uh, and see the show and see him do stand-up. Uh, but I also, of course, wanted to be able to use some of the stuff uh, maybe for the podcast that I saw or that he did or whatever, you know, whatever happened, which ended up actually being used in the podcast, so that worked out. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I really don't know how much time he's going to be able to give me. All I know is that with every passing second that he's on stage, the window gets smaller and smaller until he's off the stage, and then very quickly again, due back on. Uh, people that listen to this podcast know that I like to talk. It's no, it's no secret. I ask a lot of questions and could pretty much use all the time that I can get. So I'm watching his act and I'm, I'm laughing my ass off, uh, but I can't stop looking at uh, my phone at the time. Uh, speaking of uh, my phone, I was using it. I took a, I snapped a couple photos uh, and then at one point a guy came over and, and told me that I was not allowed to do so. Uh, of course, I stopped after that. Uh, but yeah, I did get one of him on stage, so that was pretty cool. Anyway... Uh, so I'm watching his act, I'm laughing my butt off, and um, I see the, the red light that the comics get to let them know to, to wrap up, and I'm thinking like, oh, good, uh, he's, he's, he's done. No, no, he's, he's not done. Uh, he's not wrapping up. Uh, and now that, that time to talk to him window is, is shrinking to me at an alarming rate. Uh, and the, the light flashes again, and not too long after that, he does wrap up. Uh, then I'm supposed to wait to be escorted to the green room, and I don't think I looked away from my phone the entire time I was waiting just to get back there. But finally, I get to the green room at Helium. That's where he was, Helium, which, by the way, is a really, really nice place. I can't believe it. How have I not been there before? I, I teach classes right across the street from there. I see the place on a weekly basis. How have I not been inside this place? Well, Helium, that is not going to be the case anymore. I'll be seeing uh, other people as well. Uh... <laughs> Thank you to Helium, our unofficial sponsor. Um, oh, by the way, Doogie Horner uh, was in the green room, and he 
was the featured act that night. He was fantastic, like really, really good. And I'm not saying that because I'm surprised. I've, I mean, the guy's been on America's Got, America's Got Talent, uh, and I've seen him do stand-up at things that fit, but I've never seen him do a full set, and he was friggin' awesome. Uh, I'd actually like to sit down with him to record a podcast episode soon. Um, actually, the opening comic, too. I never heard of him. Uh, what the uh, Ed. Ed, Ed something. Ed, uh, oh, Ed McGonagall. Uh, I remember because I was I had heard his name and all I could think of was Professor McGonagall from from Harry Potter. I'm an idiot. Uh, anyway, he was he was really really good too. Sort of sounded like George Burns to me, but yeah, him and Doogie both really really funny. Anywho, Greg says hello. We sit down and we get the chatting. Uh, and again, I have no idea how much time we're gonna have for this. So during this talk, you're going to hear me attempt to move to a new topic at times, uh, but that's only because I was trying to race through everything I wanted to chat about. I didn't know if he had any pre-show warm-ups that he had to do, uh, if he had to go somewhere, if he wanted to go outside and stretch. I, d I don't know. I don't know what his, what his deal is. Uh, I just met the guy. I don't know his life. Uh, but through the interview, you'll hear the crowd and other comics at times because the room we were in uh, was just off stage, but you can still hear the, the chat just fine. So I'm talking to him, not knowing how long we're going to have, and I'm also hearing Ed and Doogie do their acts. Uh, so now that window of time during the talk is shrinking and shrinking. I ended up wrapping up the, the podcast myself because I didn't want it to end with, uh, Greg, uh, we need you on stage. Uh, <laughs> but I, I kind of get the feeling that he would have been fine with that had that happened. Um, by the end, he gave me a full hour of his time between shows, and I think that I... Had he not had to leave to do another set, he probably would have given me another hour. I could have used it, too. There's a lot of stuff that uh, that I want to talk about and things uh, that I wanted to get more in-depth with. I would have loved to spend some time doing some trading some impressions back and forth because you all know I do that sort of thing. But uh, that would also be kind of lame, I think, too. Uh, I could have talked to him about Deadwood or improv for a while. Um, but I did my best. I did my best for you all. For me. For all of us. Uh, I tried to put together a decent, well-rounded interview with someone I've admired for years, and I think I, I think I did that. Maybe the next time he's in town or close by, we can do a part two of the Proops cast. Uh, oh, speaking of uh, Proops, there's a new segment that I started uh, with this called Given Proops. Uh, well, the segment is called Given Props. You know what? Maybe I'll just call it Given Proops from now on uh, as, a, as an homage to Mr. Greg Proops. Uh, you'll hear about that later on. Uh, so that's that. Please like, in quotes, like or share this episode on Facebook. Share it with your friends to your wall, their wall. Tweet it out. Tweet it out. And also like the new Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast fan page. If I actually get it done in time, which I it'll probably be up there. Look for it uh, at some point. Enough plugging. Uh, listen. As I get close, and I love being able to say this, to Greg Proops. I didn't realize how long I did. Oh, I, I, that was one of the questions I had. You were on a roll, though. Yeah, it was great. Killing it. Thank you. Really good. Uh, I have a few different sections that I want to go into. I mean, I'll talk as long as you'll let me. Okay. Uh, so, let's see. Stand-up, you just got done. Well, first you're in Philly. You said this was your first time here? I've only been to the airport before. It's the first time I've ever played here. Okay. Uh, what have you done since you've gotten here? You said you went, I went to, to Independence Hall and, and Liberty Bell. And that's uh, it? 
Well, uh, I, I've only been here a day. I've been doing the radio and TV and junk like that. I didn't do much today. I just laid low. No, uh, no cheese sticks just yet. You said right. I haven't had a cheese stick yet. It's too bloody hot for a cheese stick. It is. Yeah. If you do do one, have you had any outside of myself any insight as to what to get? A couple of people have emailed me, but where should I go? I would say, and Doogie can probably chime in too. Uh, Jim's at Fourth and South, or Steaks on South. The tourist trap is the is the Gino's Pats thing. Oh, really? Yeah, the thing with that is that they have them ready to go. So you go up and they're just kind of uh, like... Oh, and you yeah. want them cooked on the, to order. Yeah, like you go to Jim's or you go to Steaks on South, you're going to be able to see them... Slice cook it, it and cook it. Yeah, cook it right there, ready to go. Uh, so that's my suggestion. All right, I will. Uh, okay, anything else on the, uh, the tourist? I'm going to the Barnes Foundation tomorrow. Um, you have a fabulous collection of the Dr. Barnes at the turn of the century. He knew uh, all the Impressionists, and he went to France, and he bought work from them. And okay. it used to be in um, Pittsburgh, was it? And they moved a giant portion of the collection. There's hundreds of, uh, you know, Van Gogh and Degas and all that. So okay. I wanted to see that while I was here. Although okay. I heard the art museum is awesome on its own. Yeah. Okay. Last night you did the podcast. I did. Uh, how did that go? It went real well. I was told it I went, went too longer. long on that. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I what I heard. I heard it went longer than it it normally does. Yeah, it was way long. They're normally an hour, hour and a half tops, but this one was like two, two and a half. Oh, it was, so yeah, it was really long. Why do you feel it went so so long? Well, I was having fun, and I yeah, didn't have sure. anything else to do, and I was feeling it. So they were I, a great crowd. I yeah, good. The podcast crowd, the podcast crowd is a little different because you know people are here, and I think some are here to see me, but some are just here at a comedy club. You know, yeah, like sure. they, they, you know, Jeff was telling me, you know, they had a group in that comes in all the time. That's like a singles group, and there was some other group of people from Singapore or whatever, and okay. they'd come in, and yeah. I don't think they were like, oh, Greg Proops. I think they're just like, well, whatever yeah. happens, happens. Yeah. Whereas the podcast people, they know what they're getting into. Yeah. Uh, most of them have heard it before, or yeah. they want their friend to hear it, and uh, I'm a little different with the podcast crowd. Um, I go out and I talk to everybody before the show I shake hands with everybody I kind of make it more of a yeah. it's turned into a real personal thing for me yeah. so how long have you uh, been doing that it'll be two years in October what made you get into doing the podcast um, Matt Belknap and uh, Ryan McMahon and, um, they work with Jimmy Pardo and Doug okay. Benson and uh, they came to me and they said do you want to do a podcast and I was like well what would I do and they're like well I'll just you know talk and then I said well, well no one will listen you know this is a couple years ago and it, it already, you know Marin was already blown up and a bunch of people were blown up but yeah. uh, uh, so I agreed and then I, I, did, I didn't want I did one in a, in a studio and kind of didn't like it and I was right. like let's do it live always so I do it live everywhere I go I've done like one in a studio shorty um, I like it better live you get more honest response and I think you they keep you more honest uh, sure. when they don't like something or when they do like something and uh it, and i've tried to take it all over the world in the last couple of years uh i played in australia new zealand i did it there and uh, this year i've done it in uh paris and dublin london uh glasgow uh i'm going to edinburgh i did it last year in edinburgh i'm going to edinburgh to do it again um and I've, i just do it at every comedy gig i do now uh, i was with uh dugan uh in Portland, and I did one there as well. Uh, you, you went to Portland? Mm-hmm. Doogie Horner is also in the room at the moment. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Doogie. Hello, Doogie. Yeah. What, well, what keeps you doing the podcast? 
I love it more than anything I've done in comedy, and I've had more response from it than anything I've done in, in, in 20 years. Wow. It's been a, a, a profound experience for me. Um, I can also be way more honest and way more... Honest is a, well, you know, from the heart. They know that it's from the heart. Yeah. And that's what they respond to, I think. And I don't talk about... Uh, um, Bradley, who works here, asked me today, do you try to th talk about things the crowd likes? And I said, no. Uh -huh. I never talk about anything the crowd likes. I only talk about what I like. Right. And as a result, they've come to me and they relate to it, which I assumed would happen, but I didn't realize it would happen kind of the way it has. Yeah. And so... I think with any podcast, but particularly speaking for myself, obviously, uh, I think what people really like about it is it's unexpurgated even more than stand-up. I always felt like stand-up was the most direct way to communicate with people what I think podcasting is now because yeah. they listen to it with earbuds or in their car or at work or when they're making tea or when yeah. they're doing their laundry or whatever the fuck they're doing. Yeah. And they, they know there's no corporate meeting that took place they know there's no fucking agenda other than my agenda you know you, they know they're getting it from the horse yeah and uh, uh, Doug's manager Bruce Smith Doug Benson's Doug manager Benson, yeah. said to me something very profound a few months ago I was doing a gig with Doug and he said we've taken back the means of production so I could wait till the end of time to get a comedy special I'm never going to get one on Comedy Central I'm too old um, but I can make my own hour and a half show every week and send it out all over the world. Yeah, so like, I don't need fucking cable anymore right? to validate me as a comedian, yeah. and I don't think any comic does. There's a lot of that happening with, uh, who was it, Louis C.K. putting out his uh, yep. his video, his stand-up right to it's Bypass TV. television. Have you thought of doing something like that, just kind of putting out a I will when I have enough fans yeah. that will buy it. I don't think I, think I have Louis fucking following. Yeah. <laughs> Louis is able to finance something like that because he knows... He's going to get hundreds of thousands of fucking buyers. Yeah. Uh, if I did it, I'd have you know five hundred people, which I don't think would cover the, the whole enchilada yet. Uh, give me a year or two, and we'll see what goes. But I'm going to make another album this year. I hope uh, soon, uh, just a regular stand-up album. But I'm hoping to improvise it. The last one I did, which was with Matt and Ryan, they run a record company called A Special Thing, that Doug's on and Jen Kirkman and lots of mm -hmm. good comics practicing, and. Uh, I riffed the last album I did, largely. I had a couple prepared things. So I think that's what I'd like to do, is just sort of attempt to do an album live by just like the podcast, but with a little punchier. The podcast, I have room. I can read from a newspaper. I can read from a poem. I can. Yeah. I don't have to get a laugh every second. Well, yeah. when you do stand-up, your job is to get a laugh every second. And yeah. I take that seriously. Yeah. I want the crowd to be lit up. Uh, but with the podcast going, I don't have to light them up every second. And also, you know, I can goof more in a podcast. Mm -hmm. I sing songs. And I, you know, like, I was, we're in Philly, so I was singing all the Philly soul songs last night. I can really fuck around, yeah. and, and people like it. Yeah. And I talk about where I am a lot, so I like the idea that well, I take questions from the audience. When you hear people in Philly talk, you hear people with Philly accents. When you hear people in Ireland speak, it gives you, when you're listening, a sense of place. Because I'll yeah. say, we're in Paris. Or we're in Glasgow, and people yeah. get up and go, I've got a question, Greg. And you know that we're not in America, you know? And so the yeah. point of view keeps changing all the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a... I love listening to your podcast. It's Why, thank you. It's fantastic. Uh, there's, uh, like, two phases of each podcast that I listen to that, that kind of happens. And they, you kind of flip them each time that I listen. 
it's the happy portion and the sad portion. Yeah. Uh, it's the happy portion where it's all very funny, and then the, the, the sad portion where it's all very pretty because it's all like so truthful and everything. Have you ever come across a crowd that just doesn't respond to that portion, that, that preachy sort of portion that talks about all the politics and the things that are wrong with the... I worry about it sometimes, but and in L.A. occasionally I'll run up against one that is a little reticent to commit... Um, but I'll just have a go at the crowd sure. and tell them they're you know that they're not on board. Um, to be honest, I always go. There's a boring preachy part, and I have more people write me and say that they love the boring preachy part the best. Love it. That they like that part. So I know that people are responding to yeah. when I talk about taxes or Obamacare or last night it was a uh, uh, Penn State and you know uh, or or if I talk about abortion or or all the things that are going on the election and the. Um, rampant corruption and patronage that this country is running under now. Mm -hmm. People understand that. But look at the last two years. I mean, after the Arab Spring, uh, we had a little mini-revolution last year, for better or worse, what anyone ever wants to call it. The Occupy movement didn't come out of fucking nowhere, and it wasn't just nobody. The media would love to play it down, and people get very huffy, and like, why don't they get a job? And it's like, well, they don't have a job. That's why they're doing this. Uh, So I think everyone's real in touch with how hard things are. So I think that's why people kind of respond to it. It's simply being honest about... uh, uh, uh. And I found that I'm more honest than I ever... And I always thought I'm a pretty honest stand-up comic. I'll say what Mm -hmm. I fucking think. But I'm even more honest as a podcaster because I have that room. So occasionally people are bored. You know, people will write me and go, I don't agree with his politics. Or my favorite one that people write is... uh, 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 this show's not for everyone, meaning it's not for them. Right. Because how would they know what everyone yeah. likes? Right. Uh, obviously, they take exception to some part of it, and they think, well, if I didn't like it, other people won't like it too, you know. Uh, yeah. I had a guy this morning go, aren't podcasts about over? I'm yeah. Over. And I was like, uh, no. Just getting started. I did Adam Carolla's last week, and his producer said, when we drop this, it will get 250,000 downloads yeah. on the night. Yeah. And I was like, if you think that's over, right. uh, if Adam was on MSNBC, he'd be their number one program. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. There are cable networks, CNN, MSNBC, uh, uh, I'm forgetting a few, probably Current and a few others. They don't get the numbers okay. that Mark Marin gets. Yeah. <laughs> They're on television broadcasting getting 100,000 viewers. Mm-hmm. And that's considered, oh my goodness, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whereas podcasters are getting, I mean, I'm not. I don't get a quarter of a million, but I get a, I get a pretty groovy flow. Yeah, uh, you so do. You're able to reach, and it's free. Yeah, uh, and it's free. Yeah, yeah. yeah everything's groovy, man. You want a drink or something? I'm okay, thanks, man. It's it's so. Uh, oh, sure. I think it's uh, it's it, it's so uh, accessible and free. Uh, that's what I like about it. And you don't have to go on iTunes if you don't want to. You can go to the platform the and download yeah. that if you're not an iTunes person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in this day and age, that much entertainment for free is what people want. And what I think giant show business doesn't understand or is grappling with understanding is anyone under the age of, I don't know, what would you say, Doogie, 30, 35? What would you say, Doogie? Doesn't, I would say under the age of 40. 40. Doesn't give a fuck anymore about what's on TV and what time it's on. Yeah. That's over. 
That's over. That paradigm is over. People want it on their phone. Yeah. They want it on their computer. They want it when they want it, and they want to listen to what they want. So someone goes, you should listen to Marin Show. You should listen to Benson or wh- whoever it is, Aisha. People go, oh, I'll listen to that. And then if they like it, they keep going, and they don't, they don't. Yeah. They don't go, fucking Tuesday at 8, i got to get home. Because who's got the boners on or whatever, you know, or uh, another reality show where people are treating each other awful for an hour is on and I, you know, yeah. they can TiVo that shit. Or they can, if you're a young person, I don't think young people even watch TV anymore. They go on Hulu or fucking YouTube and mm-hmm. Netflix, do, the, do it on your own. And I think that's the next big wave. Yeah. It, it is the next big wave now. It's already the wave. Yep. It's just that, you know, things take a long time to grind to a... Yeah. Uh, 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 to change through to, to change you know um, it's changed comedy I think irre- uh, you know irrevocably um, you know Ricky Gervais is a successful maker of TV shows and stars and movies he does a podcast every week you don't have to do it you, people do it so that you'll reach all those people for free yeah it's just an amazing way to do it. Then it's not a cable special that they watch and go, oh, it's the same jokes. Right. <laughs> it's new every... New all now, the time. Now, when you're, when you're doing the podcast, do you plan out ahead? Yeah. Uh, what, you're, what you're going to talk about? Well, I, I have notes. I forgot to do some stuff last night because I talk so long and I don't get to everything I want to talk about on my agenda. Uh, depends on where I am. Uh, uh, I've been reading a lot of poetry lately. I didn't in Philly last night, but uh, in Dublin I did, and in mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota I read yeah. it from a local poet there. And I, think I, heard I think there should be poetry, and I think there should be uh, every manner of kind of you know. I, I talk about literature, and not every time. I mean, like you say, there's the boring preachy part, and then there's the just being a dick part. I tell a lot <laughs> of just stories and drug stories yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. Um, what I try to do is dive in and then see what happens. Right. Um, I have notes, and I have newspaper articles, and I, I try to buy the local paper and quote from the local paper. I detest on television, or in real life even, when people go, I think I heard this thing, or I think I saw something somewhere, and then they give you a fact that they can't back up because they don't fucking know where they heard it. Right. So when I read things on my podcast, you'll notice I go, this is from Reuters, this is yeah. from the BBC, this, this is from, is from Fox Jezebel. News, so, yeah, this is from Jezebel. Yeah. I tell you where it came from so you can go look if you want, so that you know I'm not just blowing yeah. shit out my ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you watch Bill O'Reilly or whoever the fuck it is, and they just make shit up. Mm-hmm that has no bearing on anything, that has no factual grounding. I'm not saying I'm based in facts. I'm all opinion. But I'm going to tell you where I read stuff. Right. I'm going to source it for you. Uh, and I get people writing me going, where should I watch news? What should I read? Because I'm also always saying, don't believe anything that's on TV. Don't believe anything that's in a newspaper. And don't believe anything that's on the web. You have to be selective. Yeah. And employ some fucking critical thinking in your life. Think about the things you hear. Right. Don't just go... Well, I heard Obamacare is going to ruin the country. Like, that's not thinking. That's repeating yeah, right. dopey shit. Sure. Okay. I mean, whether you believe it or not, you know what I mean? Like, and then always at the end, I say, make up your own mind. Don't even believe me. I have an agenda. Mm-hmm. I'm poison, you know. <laughs> I'm a poison liberal. I have a point of view. You know? uh, has it ever... Uh, I mean, not, not, I don't know that TMZ is following you everywhere, uh, but uh-huh. has, it, uh, has it ever gotten you in trouble? No. 
but the few I've said a few things that were absolutely libelous and scurrilous, <laughs> like really straight up scurrilous, and I've had the producers pull them. I've said a few things that I've regretted. Producers of the my podcast. podcast. Okay. I, I have. The, I will say to them, you got to take out this part because it's unseemly, <laughs> and I don't want to have to deal with the repercussions of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I would love there to be enough controversy that I could get in the papers over it. You know, that would be fun for me. But not over something stupid or inane. Yeah. I don't want to make an errant, fucked up comment that's just pure libel. Okay. And then that's the reason why all of a sudden I'm famous because I said Tom Cruise sucks dicks and everyone knows it. <laughs> or some horrible shit that I shouldn't, you know what I mean? Right. Sure. So I try, I don't censor what I say, I say it. But occasionally I've said a few things that I'll just go, Might oh, wanna, that's yeah. not going out. <laughs> Might want to... Yeah. And also, it's for me, it's a matter of, what is Alec Guinness saying? Uh, and please do his voice. All right. In Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> he, uh, the reporter says to him, um, I've heard that mercy is a passion with Lawrence, with Colonel Lawrence. And he says, that is true. With Colonel Lawrence... Mercy is a passion. With me, it is merely good manners. I leave it to you to decide which is the more reliable motive. <laughs> it's almost For me, as it's good manners. You know the next question, uh, because you do a lot of impressions on the podcast. Uh, how right, you which I would never do on stage. Yeah, uh, which which you really didn't. I mean, you did impressions of Philly accents. Right. Uh, or oh, I can do I can do Obama and Clinton. And sure. You know all uh, that shit. Is that something you've done all your life, or is that something no, that you just do? No, I just it's just happened on the podcast so many things yeah. evolved naturally uh, I, my one impression that I always would do with my wife to make her laugh is Jeremy Irons and <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. put it in the show if I did it on stage no one knows who Jeremy Irons is the general public like even though he's been a star for 25 years and been in The Lion King and everything yeah. he's a little obscure for them yeah. he's got a TV show on now but only I watch it apparently uh, <laughs> but if I do it on the podcast people lose their shit what is the TV show? Borgias Borgias? He's Rodrigo Borgia. Okay. He's the corrupt. Oh, yeah, Borgia. He's yeah, the corrupt yeah, yeah. pope, and he screams yes. all his lines. Yes, I'm, I, have, I haven't seen the show, but I'm. Spain. It's a catastrophe. <laughs> I love him. I love him as an actor. Yeah, I do Alec Guinness. I do him. I've done Walter Brennan. Yep. And if I'm reading a piece of literature, and occasionally I'll read a story or a piece of literature, I'll do it in another actor's voice so that it's not me reading it in right. my voice. So that it's yeah. fun or like. I read part of, I th forget which one it was, Telltale Heart of the Black Cat, one of the Poe ones, and I read it as Jeremy Irons, mm -hmm. because it was better, it was more ghouly. Yeah. I love when you do uh, uh, Miles Davis. Oh, yeah, Jazz Miles. Guy. Yeah, you were doing Well, everybody, Miles. there was this great documentary on a, a couple of years ago, hey, Ed, What's up, Ed? that um, uh, uh, it was a th six hours, I saw it on Centric or Ovation or something, I wish I'd fucking TiVo'd it. It went through every stage of Miles' career. I mean, it was fucking comprehensive. And it had him on a lot, like mm -hmm. loads of video of him. Yeah. And it, they talked to everyone who had ever been in his band that's still alive, right? Like Chick Corea, fucking Joe's on, uh, 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 um, uh, Keith, um, uh, uh, Jarrett. Okay. All of them. Uh, Jack D. Jeanette, everyone who's ever been in his band. And every one of them when they would talk about Miles would be the voice. Yeah. <laughs> like it was imperative that when they were speaking of him that they Had did him. Yeah. That Chick Corea, of all people, like, <laughs> you know, uh, what's his name? The brilliant Herbie Hancock. They would all go like, well, I'd be with Miles and Miles would go, hey man, you gotta do this. Like they always dropped into his fucking, because his voice was unforgettable. Yeah. You know, he had this kind of cracked out, you know. And then when he talks, of course, he's all, you know, they go, uh, 
they said you had AIDS. He goes, oh, no, I got over that. <laughs> like, shit like that. Crazy shit. You know? Crazy shit. Uh, and, of course, his outfits. Outside of the... Purple goggles. Philly proof cast, uh, or vodcast, uh, is there one podcast that you've done in a city or at, at a time that kind of sticks out as one of your favorites? Um, I loved... Uh, the last couple months, I've really been enjoying myself. I, I, the one I did in Dublin, I, I thought was a cracker. Uh, I've done a couple in London that uh, were really fucking fun. Uh, the, the one I did in Edinburgh last year was much much more gratifying than... I hadn't done one there, and, and I sold it out. I wasn't selling any tickets to any shows, and I just did one show, and, and, and we got people. And I had to explain to the people who ran the venue what a podcast was. Like, I go, I want to come, but I don't want to do stand-up. I want to do a podcast. And they're like, what's a podcast? And I go, believe me, if I do it, we'll put 100 people in this room. And we did. And they're like, oh, you've got to come back and do it next year. Bloody great, that podcast. That's great. Uh, a little back Actually, there's one I did a few oh. months ago called Beards. And the I reason think why. I just heard that maybe yeah. today or yesterday. Go ahead. The reason why I liked that one was at the moment I had no idea when I was doing it. I, I read a question because I take questions on the email. Yep. And I read a question that was Beards Never Really. And yeah. I ended up riffing for about 20 minutes about when I would wear a beard. Yeah. And it was this whole thing about writing a novel and how we're out in the country and all this shit. And to me, that's like the essence of fun. Just free-forming and freestyling yeah. the whole fucking thing. So yeah. that one was really memorable to me. Okay. Not on the night. On the night, I don't, you know, like sure. you think, oh. And then I listened to it back and went, that was, I just need to do that more. Yeah. Okay. Like, be funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do more of that. Uh, little, I guess, beginnings a little bit. Uh, I heard on one podcast uh, that you did stand-up in high school. Uh, yeah. But what caused you to even, let, go back even further what caused you to even try that what were maybe what was something that happened in your life that was uh, like I want to be I'm funny I want to try this out what were some of the well like, I always wanted to get on stage but in 8th grade junior high is such a horrible time and I was real short and, and, and not confident and then when we got to high school there was theater so I could be in the theater department and so I did that and then we had talent shows in our high school, and we used to do terrible shit, like Gallagher shit, like Smash Fruit. And we do other people's routines. We do like Abbott and Costello routines. This is the 70s. Okay. And then I had a partner named Forrest Brakeman, who's still my uh, oldest friend. And uh, we moved to San Francisco. Oh, we were going to College San Mateo, and they would need... They'd do rallies, or they'd do assemblies, or they'd do, uh, you know, whatever, spring fling or some fucking thing. And they'd want entertainment, and we'd go, well, we'll fucking get up and do stand-up. Yeah. So that's what made me want to do it. And then the first time you get paid for doing stand-up, and any stand-up will tell you this, after that, it's like, you'll do it for free for years, but once you start to get paid, then it's like, okay. Because your goals are very simple at the start. First, I want stage time. Then I want money. Then I want to be an opener. Then I want to be a feature. Then I want a headline. Like, it's real clear-cut where you're going. Uh, then after that, it's up to you. But, I mean, uh, I said it to someone today. I mean, when I was a teenager, we did a gig at the College of San Mateo. And uh, it was a lunchtime rally or some fucking nonsense. And a band got up after us. And we thought they were so old. They were, like, 28. And they go to us, uh, will you come to this? Uh, we play at a bar in Palo Alto. Uh will you come down and do in between the sets will you do stand up you guys are funny we're like 18 
So we went down there. We were, we were in a grown-up bar. We were allowed to drink. No one fucking asked in those days, you know. Smoking, drinking, doing drugs with the band and shit. We were fucking teenagers, and I thought, I want to be treated like an adult. I, I, when I was young, I didn't want to be young. I wanted to be a grown-up because I thought grown-ups had freedom to do what they fucking wanted and say what they wanted. Uh, when you're in high school, you know, you have to fucking be there, do this, do that, you know. And I thought it was irresistible. Uh, and then I was an actor in college, and when I started doing stand-up and getting paid for it, I was like, I don't want to read other people's lines anymore. I want to write my own jokes and tell them for money. So that's the magic of it. And... Uh, Whenever I meet young stand-ups, I always say, it's a great life. You've just got to stick. You've got to stick. Uh, a comic who passed away named Warren Spotswood said to me years ago, in 1982, to me, we were upstairs at the Holy City Zoo in San Francisco, which was a legendary, shitty little club that held about 80 people. Someone was talking about quitting. I'm tired of it. And he said, take a year off if you have to, but never quit. If you have to pull yourself together and stop doing it for a while, that's fine. Don't tell everyone you're going to quit, and don't fucking quit. That's what stand-up is. Will Durst, who's an old friend of mine and an unofficial mentor, he would never say he was my mentor, but I was a young comic and he was a headliner, or was a feature when I first met him, but he, you know, and he's been a political comic for 30-something years. We are doing some shit gig on a Tuesday night in San Rafael, and uh, there he was. And I go, what are you doing here, man? How much you get for this? Two fifty, three hundred, or something? What? What the fuck are you out on a Tuesday? And he pulled me up and he went, "I'm working. That's what we do, Greg. We work." And I was like, "Right, right." Uh, and he taught me all these things without him knowing. You know, he didn't sit me down on his knee and say, "This is what stand-up is." Yeah. But it's like paint the fence and right. Wax, you wax recycle on, jokes. <laughs> you, if your joke's not working now, put it away. Don't throw it away bring it back later it'll work for something else you yeah. can rewrite it that's craft go out every night and work that's what stand-ups do yeah <laughs> he was my wisdom tooth you know when people don't want to work and don't want to do stand-up every night they can't be a stand-up in my opinion you have you got to prove it and you have to prove it every fucking night yeah. and any good stand-up knows that even uh, uh, let's go to the top Jerry Steinfeld quit his show. They offered him $5 million a week. $5 million a week when he quit it. And the first thing he did was go back to being a stand-up. Yeah, yeah, he did. And yeah. now when you see him, he was playing somewhere I was playing a few weeks ago. He's on the road again. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. And he ain't doing the old material. He's writing, you know. Writing new stuff, yeah. 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 Uh, work, work, work. You're doing stand-up now. Uh, is this something that you've stopped? Or have you been doing it the entire time through the Who's Line timeline? Oh, yeah. The whole time. I was a stand-up when I was doing Who's Line. And uh, I still do Who's Line with all the guys. We did a new show for ABC this year, but... Yes, I yeah. still do uh, uh, I work with Ryan Stiles in a group yep. and I work with Drew when we do the big group and I work with the English guys from Who's Line when I'm in England uh, there's several groups over there I work with and um, and I'm really one of the few uh, in all of those groups that still does stand-up all the time okay. Drew is back doing it I think Drew's doing like a combo of stand-up and improv right okay. now but he's the only one that was like a proper stand-up Ryan did it, but at the very, very beginning of his career, and yeah. once he became an actor and an improviser, he, he can get up by himself, obviously, and hold the yeah. crowd down as yeah, long yeah. as he wants, but he's just not a technical so stand-up comic yeah. with material anymore. Uh, do you find that your 
improv background helps your stand-up? Very much so. The nothing, yeah. Nothing's helped more, except for going to other countries. Uh, nothing has helped more than improv, because I don't care if the fucking jokes die, or I can come off the script anytime I want, which I, you saw me do tonight. Like I, yes. When they weren't laughing at something, I just decided, okay, yeah. fucking, we'll just talk about this for a while. It was seamless. And Everything about it. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of being able to make the improv as funny as the stand-up and the stand-up as funny as the improv. And yeah. that's where I'm, tr- what I'm working on now is making the stand-up as real as the podcast, which is a very difficult uphill battle for me, but yeah. we're getting there. And someone asked me the other day online, Gee, what about writer's block? And I said, you're not allowed to have writer's block. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're not allowed. Yeah. Go, pick up a paper, do something, talk about your life, whatever it requires. But yeah. I mean, I've had it. I've had, felt very uncreative at points. Yeah. And how did you how did you break through? You just push through and keep working and keep playing and keep trying to uh, expand the material and uh, try to get to the, uh, a safe place, you know, because I'm headlining, I've got to kill, but I know there's a spot in the middle there somewhere where I can do whatever I want. Yeah because I'll have enough time to yeah. come back at the end. Sure. And that's the port where I'm trying to work on, you know. I mean, not tonight so much. Tonight I was just up there to have fun and deliver a professional set, and it went a little longer, it went uh, a little yeah, twice as long. A little bit. Give me hell, Ed. Yeah, I saw that, I saw that red light, uh, and I, I, I wrote down a few things as the, uh, as the set was taking place. Uh, and one of the, the notes I have is the red light. Do you see that? Do you see it as you're going, or do you just ignore it? I didn't it? see it the first time. My mistake tonight was I didn't look at my watch before I went on. Okay. Yeah, I saw you check your watch a couple times. But I didn't know where it was. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm really good about it. And I still okay. wear a watch all the time, so I know how much time is left. It's terrible because I'm usually really good at time. Horribly, because of being a stand-up my whole life, and that everything's in increments, yeah. 5, 10, 45, hour, sure, whatever, yeah. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I know what time it is. Yeah. Like, I'll go, I'll wake up and go, it's 2.15, and I'll look at the clock, and it'll be 2.13, and I'll be like, I hate that. And my wife will go, how long ago did I put that chicken in the oven? And I'll go, eight minutes. Like, time, I can count time without counting time. I think all stand-ups kind of, although obviously tonight I was just goofing so hard. Having a good time. No, that's nothing wrong with that. you're an escaped robot, you don't know. You what? I bet you're an escaped robot, and you don't know. You know what I mean? I've got a chip in my head. Do you know how horrible it is to wake up at four in the morning and go, it's four in the morning, and then look at the clock. <laughs> Fuck, it's four in the morning. When I'm wrong, I'm so excited. If I'm wrong by an hour, I'm like, hooray. Time uh, went away without me. Other than 20, <laughs> 25 years doing Who's Line, uh, what's your improv experience? Like your I, I was in a group in San Francisco called Fault Line. Uh, we played for a couple years at a place called Lips, south of Market, and we did sketches and improv. Um, I was in that group in college. Uh, I started doing it when I was about 19, and uh, we played this punk club called the Savoy Tivoli and on Grand Avenue in uh, North Beach, and uh, we would follow, we would be before bands, or we would, you know, we would have, a, I think they gave us a Tuesday. For some reason, the, the people who booked the club, Jerry and Olga, found us very amusing. It was, we were a bunch of fucking 20-year-olds, you know. Okay. And we'd pitch up, and of course we were drinking and doing drugs in a rock and roll club. There'd be glass all over the stage and duct tape and shit. It was a real... Fucking, you know, punky, uh, who would play there? You know, the Mentors and uh, Romeo Void and uh, 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 Cabaret Voltaire and all these fucking arty bands and shit. Okay. 
And then these fucking 20-year-olds would get up and do this lengthy ass, like, Star Wars sketch. We were just terrible, you know, but it was so much fun. So I did it then. And then I hadn't done it for a couple years when I got on Who's Line. And then ever since, we started Who's the American Who's Line. Uh, Drew put us together, and we were doing Vegas for, like, 12, 13 years every Super Bowl. And then... Ever since his line went off the air, I've been in a group with Ryan, and now we've been on the road like 10, 12 years, so... How did the original British... How did you get on the original British? They came to San Francisco and auditioned in 1989. Uh, McShane, my buddy... uh, Mike McShane. Yeah, Mike McShane. It was an improv group with him in college and after. He was in Fault Line. Uh, Got on the year before, and I was at a gig with Tom Kinney, who's the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, and was was a stand-up, doesn't do much anymore. Uh, he and I were on a road gig in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho sitting in a condo together and I fucking called home and McShane goes there's this fucking English TV show here auditioning and they don't well, I don't know what the fuck it is and I was like crying and shit why can't I be there and then thank fuck they came back the next year yeah. so I got on that year. and this was 88, 89 or 90 uh, my so? first year was 89 on the 89. show and then Ryan and Colin came on in like 90 okay because that's around uh, maybe maybe a couple years after that, where Comedy Central started picking. Yeah, they picking started it up to show it then. and started showing it over and over. It they was showed like the British one. A Comedy lot. Central was playing that. Uh, maybe absolutely fabulous. E True Hollywood Stories right. and E News Daily, pretty much twenty four hours a day, yep. seven days a week. Uh, and that's where I became familiar with you and the other. Who's yeah, a lot of people guys. watched it in college. Yeah, well, or high school yeah. or when they were kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you notice any differences between? Um, now, I, know, I, I had read that the last season of Whose Line, the British version, was actually filmed in America. The last two seasons. Last two seasons. Okay. Uh, between that and the Amer- actual American version, did you notice any differences between Yeah, there's that? more air in the English version. A, a, a half hour in England is 24 minutes. They have slightly less commercials. Okay. Or it was then. Which is like uh, two, two, two and a half minutes longer or so? Yeah. Here, what is, it, what is a half 22, hour? 22 and a half? Yeah, something like that. And so, like, on the British one, when we would do the credits in a style of our choosing and all that shit, they'd show it. Yeah. And on the American yeah. one, whoop, all of yep, a sudden it's up in a corner yeah. and the credit rolls going as fast and, as and possible. The, and the new show is playing. Yeah, and it didn't mean anything. Whereas on the English one, it was like a big thing in the show. Like, yeah. okay, you won, get up and mm-hmm. do this fucking monkey jump. And, yeah. Uh, so that, there was, we also used to do full-on musicals on the English one. Yeah. Where Clive would go into the audience and go, what do you do? Where do you live? What do you yeah. like to do? And then we'd spend eight minutes making a musical. Yeah. And they never did that on the American one. And then the American one started stunt casting the last year. And we had Jerry Springer and female bodybuilders and uh, yeah. famously Richard yeah. Simmons. Yeah. Uh, and... I I didn't mind it, but I didn't think it spoke to the show at all. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just stunty. Yeah. And I thought, what's Jerry Springer or a female bodybuilder going to do that we can't do? Yeah. I don't understand why the audience isn't tuning in to see guest stars. They're tuning in because they want to see Ryan and Colin and me and Wayne and Brad and Chip fucking throw down. Yeah. I also read <laughs> uh, that authors... Uh, was also kind of dropped from the... Oh, no, we never did Authors yeah. on the American one. Authors we did on the English one for years. I remember my audition for Whose Line, I think I did Kurt Vonnegut uh, for my author. And then when yeah. we did the show, I remember doing uh, Earl Hamner, who wrote The Waltons, and Clive made fun of me. He went, oh, yeah, that great American author. Uh, 
I thought Authors was fabulous fun. A couple of people were great in it. Uh, John Sessions, used to, he did a Hemingway that made me cry laughing. Uh, Jack's pants were tight. It felt good. And then Tony Slatter used to do um, airline hostess manual and shit. So when it would get to him, he'd go, the exits are here. Do you still talk to him at all? Tony, I haven't seen in ages. Because uh, he, was, he was great on that show. One of my favorite... He's fabulous. Uh, Credits in a style of was credits in a style of Tony Slattery. Yeah, uh, and I think it was Ryan and maybe other people came on and joined and just kept like checking the hey, checking the microphone and everything. Just like, yeah, oh, it was fantastic. Hey, Tony's a genius. It seemed sometimes that the I, maybe it was the producers doing it that you guys would kind of fall into the same sort of roles in some of the games. Oh yeah, that's all the producers. Yeah, that's we, all did, producers. we didn't pick what we were doing and we didn't pick what games we played. So you would always be like, not always, maybe maybe. Yeah, I was the first one to come in and party quirks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had to guess everybody's quirk. I and Ryan was, was always the get would always get seem like seemingly get the most whacked out sort of yeah, you get thing a physical to get, one. Yeah, and thing I, to I, guess. I was like, what the, was a newborn calf being born? Well, that was a guinea. <laughs> A newborn foal. <laughs> I was always the anchor on the news yes. program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twice nightly. Twice nightly. <laughs> Dip deeply. Wide, but what is it? Long, but not wide. Or wide, but not long. Yeah. Yeah, twice nightly. And, I, and that was my joke was to see how much innuendo I could get in there. So every time I always did it was tongue deeply or <laughs> curved slightly. That was one of my favorites. Now is that the... Good evening, I'm curved slightly. Is that the British or American or both that you do that? Both, but the American one. My, we did one in New York when we first started when Sandy Toxvig was on the show. And we, me and her were the newscasters. And I said, I'm going to go down on you. So when the camera gets on the two of us, my head's going to be in your lap. And then I'm going to pop up and we're both going to go like that. And so, because I said, I hate blowjob jokes. I never think they're funny. I never think they're funny in movies. And I don't know why they keep getting done, except that men are in charge of show business. I said, but it's much funnier if I go down on you, right? So we started, right? And they go, here comes the news. Da, 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 da. And I fucking got in her lap, right? And then I popped up, you know, and they, we both went, ah, ah, And the producers went, cut, without putting that in. So it never got on the air. But, uh, after 20, 25 years of doing the, pretty much playing with a lot of the same people, have you guys ever made up your own games? Uh, we do, uh, occasionally we'll throw a new one in. We do this one where there's bells and whistles and shit where we take a couple through their first date. I, I'm sure that's a proper game. Uh, there's also Ford Reverse, which I think is an old improv game. We mm -hmm. throw that one in occasionally. Not my favorite, but I can do it. What is your favorite? I like movie styles because I really like doing the genres. Yeah. Uh, any game that Ryan's in is my favorite because yeah, he's, he's fucking Babe Ruth. Yeah, right? Yeah. What about your least favorite? Is that Hoedown? We would all say Hoedown. <laughs> Hoedown, yeah. yeah. Hoedown. And people yell Hoedown at our yeah, live yeah. shows and Ryan will go, I get your Hoedown right here. Like, and he Ryan was, hates Hoedown more than anything on earth. Was he, was it him or Colin that was always last? He was always last. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. all the premises were burned to the ground by the time we arrived. <laughs> Colin always would go, I'm really, 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 really think. And then my favorite one ever when it got to Colin was he pretended to have a heart attack and die once. Rather than sing the song, he just went, ah, and then fell over and then they went to Ryan. Yeah. But he, we didn't, that was not a favorite uh, of ours and Irish drinking song wasn't either. Yeah. And the English show we did March a few times and March was bloody awful. One that we I'm never did that I loved was we did Survivor and the American one because it, we were up against Survivor and I always thought that was funny because it gave us a chance to go up to the cameras and fuck around more which I love doing the yeah. English one we had a lot more freedom to fucking run around yeah. the American one they were always worried we were going to crash a shot 
But when we would do Survivor, we could go right up to the lens. There's one of me and Ryan going right up to the lens. And that, to me, is funny television. Like, all of a sudden, now you're getting to Ernie Kovacs territory, where the medium is the joke and not just us making dick jokes. Um, We used to do, we rehearsed it, but we never did it, Antique Roadshow. And they'd give them a prop, and I was the guy, and I'd go, well, this is a, a beautiful... A phone made out of uh, tough, durable metal, and uh, you know, we'd, we'd like just whatever mundane shit. And we never did it on the show, but I always thought it was really funny. Yeah. Uh, you just talked about and awards. Jokes. We used to do uh, Academy Awards, which we, I don't think we ever did on TV, but it, that, that was a funny one too, uh, where we, we'd actually that. give out Oscars and make up movies and make up the categories. And I always thought that was really funny, but it never made it. You talked about dick jokes a second ago. Uh, any thoughts on kind of cursing, going blue? In well, I mean, improv? If, if, if the hoedown was sucking and I was often the first one in hoedown, um, if you couldn't get it and you couldn't think of anything, I'd just swear. And then they'd stop tape. <laughs> and that was our out to stop tape. People go like, did, they, did it ever fuck up? Did you ever not be funny? <laughs> yes. They edited it all out, obviously. Yeah. Um, but by the end, it was a science. Yeah. We would get four or five shows out of one taping. We taped for two and a half hours. The first... Hour. You got four or five shows out of yep. two and a half hours? Yep. Okay. We would tape, the first hour and a half would be games, and then the last hour would be ins and outs. We'd just do ins and outs. So the, the producer, scientifically, there was a way in and out of every single thing we did, and okay. that's what made the show um, modular. You were able to put shows together. It didn't have to be what we did on the night in a row. You could take any game from anywhere and put it anywhere in any show because there was always, we'll be right back. Now they're going to do this. Glenn and Greg are going to do this. Colin, you know, so yeah. that was how we did it. And we never did anything for more than a couple minutes. Like we never did a 20 minute thing and then cut it down yeah. to the funny three. Right. Never worked that way. Like Groucho, when he did You Bet Your Life, would go on for ages and ages and they'd edit it down. Yeah. And I'm not taking anything away from Groucho. He's the funniest person that ever lived. But we didn't do that. And that's where people get confused with improv on TV. When you see improv on TV, you mustn't let something go 15 minutes. And then, oh, go, oh, well, there's three funny in there. We'll just pull it because it doesn't edit. We would do something for two minutes. If something sucked after 30 seconds or a minute, boom, it was cut. They'd stop and we'd get up and do it again. Okay. So the editing to you is what made the. That's why it's so punchy. Made it work on because I mean improv is is notoriously hard to translate to to film. That's I think that our producers found a way to crack it. Dan Patterson and Mark Levinson were. Mark, Dan did a paper edit while we did the show. Okay. So after we finished uh, our years on ABC, we got an entire another season out of what was in the can. Wow. Twenty two episodes. Wow. From what was left in the can, okay. we didn't shoot anything new. So that's how well, it, like Steve would go, well, did a bunch of stuff not work and he left it out. No. Oh. We have Ryan Stiles and Wayne Brady. Babe Ruth. Everything fucking worked, you know? Yeah. They, I really can't remember on the American one, Wayne or Colin or Ryan failing, you know? Yeah. Once in a while a joke would fall flat, but then you make that work. And the other thing about improv is failing funny. Yeah. Which no one believes, but it's true. That's what I was going to ask. You can fail, but <laughs> yeah, if it's funny, uh, it's as good as if it's funny. Advice. What 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 improv advice would you have for people that are listening? Learn to fail funny. Everything yeah. doesn't have to be a home run. Yeah. If it's sucking and no one's buying it, make that funny. Yeah. 
Like stand-up, when it's not going good, fucking mm-hmm. own it. Okay. Uh, we're going to be running out of time soon. Um, you were in one of the highest-grossing films of all time. Uh, so I don't Star want Wars, to do with that. Star Wars Episode One. Uh, how did you land that? Lat role. I was working in Edinburgh, and uh, the casting director came, and uh, Scott Capurro, who's the other Padres announcer, and a very dear friend of mine from San Francisco, uh, and I were both doing sets at the same venue, and she came and saw us both, and then had us come in. They needed American voices, and they shot it in Leavesden in London. They didn't want the announcers to be English, so because we were Americans working over there, we just went in and did it. Okay. Uh, this is a follow-up question. And George Lucas couldn't have been nicer. He was, he was a good guy? He directed okay. us. Sure. Uh, For what it's worth. question uh, from Mark Leopold, because uh, people write in with questions. <laughs> a little bit of a jab at the same time, apparently. Uh, does your involvement with the new Star Wars films ever tempt you to claim that the new trilogy is better than the old trilogy? No. <laughs> uh, I would never claim that. Uh, I think anyone that's over the age of 10 would say that the old ones had more pulse. Um, they were done in the style of uh, Flash Gordon with wipes and dissolves yeah. and Iris Down and the pace of the movies is not the first one but the second one is faster they're always running they're always getting into their ship they're always leaving and in the three subsequent ones they're not as concerned with that it's like there's the fish sequence in the Phantom Menace and they go, oh my God, there's a giant fish chasing us. And Liam Neeson goes, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> Whereas if that had been one of the old movies, they'd have been like, let's get out of here. Yeah, right. Step on it, you know. So I think some of the impetus of the third, for my taste, I mean, I don't know, I'm, you know, I don't know the inner workings, but I think the first ones, because they were like old-fashioned movies, they're a mixture of uh, biplane movies and, um, and Flash Gordon, you know. Yeah. So imperative to keep things right. high stakes, high yeah. stakes, high stakes, high stakes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the last few things You know, are... like the, t- the two good Star Trek movies. Everyone yeah. knows there's like the, ten the Star Trek <laughs> movies. The second one's second good. One and the third one's the fourth. the fourth one. Yeah. Because they're funny and they yeah. move right along. Yeah, they, it, it's right along. The, the, they have the whole thing where it's the odd and evens. Right. The odd one's no good. The evens... The first even one's, one's tedious. Yeah. Tedious. And the yeah. fifth one is all over the fucking yeah. yard. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, plot and characters, baby. Yeah. <laughs> plot and characters. Yeah. Uh, what Hitchcock knew. Yeah, uh, uh, Hitchcock movies is best ones. Plot, 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 plot. You can't believe how much plot there is. Yeah. Something's happening every turn, 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 turn. Jimmy turn, Stewart, turn, turn. one of my favorite actors yeah. of all time, uh, in several of his his movies, made well, him work. I mean, look, not that he really needed Jimmy Stewart. No, but, yeah. oh, well, yeah, everybody. I mean, yeah. but look at, like, North by Northwest. Um, Cagney. Which, or uh, not Cagney, uh, Cary Grant. Who wrote that? George Oxelrod? I can't um, I'm blanking on the name of the person. I'm not going to be able to help it's you It's not George Oxelrod. <laughs> it's a famous screenwriter. And he passed a couple years ago. And he said, when he was writing North by Northwest, uh, I knew we had Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. And Cary Grant was living at the hotel where they shot the opening scene where you see Cary Grant get off the elevator and walk through the hotel lobby in his gray suit. And he goes, I know, as a writer, that the audience already knows who Cary Grant is and that all I have to do is put him in a place and have him walk out and then everything starts. All of a sudden, he's his foreign agent. All of a sudden, he's getting arrested. All of a sudden, they're trying to kill him. And he's just a guy. And like that movie goes by like the wind because 
you know, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen next. Like, you're just... And that's what I love about Hitchcock, who I think is not underrated, but certainly never got an Oscar or anything. Speaking of Hitchcock, somewhat spooky sort of stuff, today's Friday the 13th. Is it? Uh, it is. God, Do you I'm have really any nervous. superstitions? Yeah, I'm wildly superstitious. Yeah, what are your, what are your superstitions? Uh, I won't step on cracks, and I won't go behind... Uh, uh, at ladders, and uh, I I believe in luck and splitting uh, poles. Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> poles. I'm I just uh, when I first started, uh, uh, Forrest and I, uh, when we were a team, when we were kids, we carried a I had a good luck charm that I carried all the time. Wow. Um, I have uh, uh, you know talismans, you know, on my stuff. Sure. In my bags, I have good luck charms: rabbit's feet, dice, coins. Uh, in England, they take champagne corks and put a coin in them as a good luck charm. I have okay. those everywhere. Okay. I just I want to be on. I fly a lot. And yeah. I, I travel a lot, so Do I want to be on. I want to be on the side. Of, yeah. Okay. And with the fades uh, to let smile on me. People that also this is my attempt at a segue, by the way. Go on. Uh, people that also tend to be superstitious are ball players, yeah. baseball players. Which you one of the things I love about your friggin' podcast is how much baseball talk there actually is. But it was around the time I moved away from Philly. I wanted something to connect to my hometown, which mm-hmm. was the Philadelphia Phillies. So I started watching, and I've since just, I can't can't look away. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're making it easy to kind of look away right now. But Yeah, but you guys have had a good run. Uh, you got a ring from a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My team had a, had a go. Yeah, yeah, team. They, yeah, they sure did. That's the Giants, for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, and this question is from Mark Sutton, another uh, improviser. Uh, pitchers these days seem to be kind of babied as far as pitch counts go. Yeah. Now you got Strasburg down in, right, in Washington. They've got a strict pitch who, count yeah. on him who may not even get to pitch in postseason and they're almost sure to make it. They're in first right now. Why yeah. would you do that? They, it, it's this, this, they're really being protective. They have a giant investment. They've spent millions of dollars. They know that he's the hottest shit fucking young pitcher around. I can tell you some pitching stuffs that were, you know, the 80, uh, 81As when Martin managed them okay. when they had uh, McCaddy and Keogh and uh, he fucking... Billy Martin didn't believe in sitting guys, and he had a four-man rotation. Yeah. And, you know, he's from the 50s, so, he, you know, his baseball experience was get your ass out there and fucking pitch. And I think he kind of blew up that staff a little bit. Um, but, having said that, look at the best pitchers. Holiday, Lee, yeah. Strasburg, Ubaldo uh, 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 Jimenez, or not this year, but in years past, uh, Kane or... or, 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 or um, uh, Linscombe when he lost to your Sions. They pitched 250 innings. Yeah. They strike out 200 guys. They got 36 starts. They're not cheating. They're not... They may have a pitch count, but they're playing a lot of fucking games. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, guys pitched 300 innings and yeah. stuff. Right. And threw at your head all the time. And yeah. they stopped all that. Right. My, this is my favorite Doc Ellis story, besides the no-hitter on acid, is the one I read on the show from Donald Hall's book, where he said to the club... We're playing Cincy today. I'm hitting everyone. And he hit. Uh, I think Griffey was leading off. Or Pete Rose was leading off. He hit Rose. Pete Rose. Then he hit, and then Morgan came up and went, he only hit you because you're a white guy. And the next pitch went in Morgan's ass. Rose, of course, rolled the ball back to him underhand. Because oh, Rose is Rose. He picked up the ball after it hit him and went. And then he hit uh, Dreesen, was it, or Griffey? 
and then he tried to hit Perez for four pitches, and Perez dodged four pitches. And so now he's walked in a run, and then the umpire uh, fucking yeah, stopped start, him and fucking start threw warning. him out yeah. of the game. <laughs> threw him out. He didn't throw a fucking strike. He yeah. hit three guys and walked one guy. Is his line in that game. They would never... Yeah. If you imagine a guy hitting yeah. the first two batters willfully, yeah, you get a you get a warning right away. Oh, pfft. but I mean, I grew up with Juan Marichal and Bob Gibson, when, and then Gibson. later Nolan Ryan, who everyone forgets hit more batters than anyone. He, and it, those were not all accidents. Nolan Ryan yeah. hit you to get your ass yeah. off that fucking plate. Yeah, back off. Nope. There's still a few guys who'll buzz you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was know. the incident with Hamels. I don't know if you saw that uh, with uh, Bryce. Yeah, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper uh, kind of hit him, and you know he, he no. takes his uh, press conference. Welcome to the Bigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember years ago with Jeff Brantley. I, I think it was Benito Santiago's first or second year. That's how long ago it was. Like eighty nine, ninety. And Santiago could fucking hit. And he broke his arm, right? Jeez. He pitched him inside and fucking broke his left arm. And after the game, Bradley was like, what? No apology, no nothing. Fuck you. This part of the plate, as Don Drysdale used to say, or Gibson, belongs to me. You mentioned Pete Rose. Uh, I had heard you say on a podcast a couple weeks ago that uh, I, I wasn't at the podcast last night. Uh, <laughs> I never got to him. Ah, oh, jeez. I did a story at the end because someone asked me and I forgot. And I'm in the middle of watching this giant Pete Rose documentary right now that's so long I can't believe it. And it's the best thing I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, what, and it's got Schmitty in it. Yeah, it's called the, the something about the Hit King. Uh, 41. It's the making of the Hit King. And Perez is in it, and Schmidt. And Schmidt is fucking genius about Perez. I had no idea. Yeah. He, when he came to the Phils, they'd won a bunch of pennants, but they hadn't closed. Right. And Schmidt said, getting Rose on the team, the thing that made them win the pennant when he was there, he goes, we rode each other. This was in the documentary. And Schmidt said, I'd ride guys on the team, they'd ride me. You're short, you're stupid, you do this all the time. He goes... Rose would come up to me and go, do you know how fucking good you are? To Schmidt, do you know how fucking good you are? You're the greatest. And he goes, and no one had ever seen, he goes, we all stopped writing each other. Because Pete Rose was this old man who just came onto the team. I'm like, you're great. And would like, and of all the people who didn't need to be told he was great, and you think, and there's Schmidt going, that changed me. Because the, he was the lead, the focus, and that took the focus off us. Because Pete will hold a fucking press conference for a year after the game, you know. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple. And so, but the other one was, he goes, he'd slide head first into third when the ball would be coming into second. There'd be no reason, you know, like a double, and he'd fucking hit it and bounce up at third. And Schmidt goes, and the ball's getting gently thrown into second behind him because he just did it to fucking do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then show him fucking. A couple, <laughs> couple random questions because I know you're gonna have to get out of here. Uh, you mentioned the word poopleheads during your your set. Are you a fan of Deadwood at all? Yeah, that's what yeah. I got it from. I stole it from there. Oh, I love it. No, no, no. I steal from everywhere. No, no. Hoopleheads, Deadwood's one of the fucking greatest shows of yeah. all time. One Al of my Swear- favorites. Al Swearingen is one of the best characters ever created for. Do television. you think he was Satan? Metaphysically, metaphorically, I've never. Do you actually... think he was an evil force put there? Because he seemed to have this weird, like, both existence both, yeah. there. You know, he did playing both sides. Sure. Yeah, and 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 
you know, sometimes he murdered people and sometimes he did it out of mercy and sometimes he did it because he was a cocksucker. And, you know, no, no, I... I like, it's, a, it's an amazing... The first two seasons are extraordinary and then it kind of... The rails kind of came off. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way that it ended, come on. That's not even an end. No. <laughs> it cost too much money. They were spending yeah. a fortune on that show. A I, fortune. Every once Rome in a while, and, and Deadwood, I think, are yeah. my two favorites. Every once in a while, I'll write these uh, monologues in a style of Al Swearinger, not the shoot your way. I don't want to talk to these cocksuckers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's sometimes what lies in. Uh, One final fucking task after another. The last thing I'll ask you, because um, we're very, very short on time now, is... And David Milch insists that uh, they said cocksucker. All the time. And they sure did. There's, like, YouTube clips of, like, seven minutes of just all yeah, the cocksuckers. He insists in the 19th century. It's just that profanity was absolutely verboten in print. Sure. Why not? Uh, trust us with your life. Anything you could say about that? Well, I hope it works, and I hope we get to do it again. We shot it in England last time, and I loved it, because we were there for two weeks and stayed at a nice hotel, and I got to see all my friends, and I had a great time. Um, so, I don't know if they're going to shoot it again in Hollywood. We had very low ratings on the first one, because we were up against the All-Star Game. The first episode went up, like, bang against the All-Star Game, and this was a good All-Star Game, especially for me. Yeah, right. I know, sure. Uh, so, I hope it lasts. Uh, how do you Only feel about that I like, deciding? I like having a job on TV. How do you feel about that deciding uh, home field advantage? Oh, I think it's useless. I, I hate Bud Selig. Uh, I think he's the most destructive. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, he's the most destructive force the game's had in years. Uh, he's a terrible commissioner. Um, he's a douchebag, and uh, there's no reason an exhibition game should have any bearing whatsoever on what happens postseason. The team with the most wins should have home field. Yes. That's how... I agree. That's what winning is. That's why they play for six months. That's why they play 162 games. Right. The team that wins the most gets to play the other team that won the most. Right. right. (laughs) Not, Uh, well, if you win the All-Star game. I mean, when it was a tie game, that was the most horrible thing I've ever seen. One quick thing. Uh, One of the uh, parts of my podcast I like like to try to do is give them props. Your last name is Proops, so I'd like to say Kevin Proops <laughs> for this one. Uh, anybody in particular that you'd like to give shout-outs to? Any any props? Anybody that's done something good that you just want to say a quick shout-out to? You mean comedians or...? Anybody. Any walk of life. Oh, golly. Well, loads of people. Um, Melinda Gates, uh, Bill Gates' wife, uh, is an avowed Catholic, and I read yesterday that she's going to spend her billions... Um, promoting birth control here in the United States and around the rest of the world as, as they have been doing uh, in their enormous philanthropy. And she is a dyed-in-the-wool Catholic, and she's not having it. You may have noticed recently with the uh, Obamacare and all this that uh, the Catholic hospitals have been extraordinarily reticent to provide birth control and health care for women. And uh, I love her for just going, I'm a strict Catholic, and I'm still going to fucking do it. You have to understand that women die of this. And I think it's a humanitarian thing, and I always admire people who aren't cruel. The thing I object to the most in politics is the cruelty. Uh, so th- that's just off the top of my head. I happened to read yeah. it yesterday. Um, that you're giving proofs. That uh, that'll work. Okay. Uh, and I don't often give props to mil- billionaires <laughs> and billionaires' wives, but uh, I think she's a right-on person. And I think her, him and uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Warren Buffett. Sure. Um, it's genius. It's genius what they've come up with. Going, I'm gonna. I don't want all my money. I'm going to give all my money to the yeah. world. Uh, it's never been done before. No one's ever thought of it. And uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, you can't take it with you, right? 
Well, <laughs> ask Mitt Romney. I mean, there's a lot of people who aren't going to give all their money away. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for uh, pleasure for giving me the time. Thank you for getting close with Mike Marbach. Well, there you have it. <laughs> little dry, little dry mouth. Got a little cotton mouth. There you have it. A very special episode of the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast comes to an end. Uh, who does that sound like? Maybe Richard Harris? Kind of sounds like Richard Harris from uh, when he was uh, Harry Potter uh, or Dumbledore. When he, was Harry, uh, in, when he was Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Looks like you found the mirror of Erised. Um What am I saying? Why do I... I gotta start editing these things. Anyway, yeah, that was Greg... Proofs. Oh, God. You know, if you listen close enough, you could probably hear the grin that I had on my face the entire time. Uh, it was such a thrill. Thank you once again, Greg Proofs, for giving me the time for uh, getting close with you. Uh, it was such a... It was just so awesome. Uh, to even, I would have settled for seeing you do stand-up, but for giving me the time, giving me not 10 minutes, not a half hour, not 40 minutes, not 50 minutes, not 60 minutes, but 60... Two or so minutes of your time was was fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, and I do hope that you make your way back to Philly. And I do hope you get that elusive cheesesteak. Uh, a few quick notes, if I may. He absolutely could do a Comedy Central special. He said he's too old. I don't know if that's really, if they have an age limit or, or, or not. But he definitely deserves it. His stand-up is fantastic. If you're listening from a city that uh, he is coming to, Go see him. It is really, really great. Uh, listen to his podcast, Smartest Man in the World. It's so good. And I am one of the people that absolutely loves what he calls the boring preachy parts, uh, where he just kind of goes off. Uh, it's very informative, and it's uh, also very funny at the same time. But as I said, sometimes it is a little saddening or maddening um, because he does talk about a lot of the things that are wrong with uh, with with the country, but he is not wrong when he's doing it. Um, I know who Jeremy, Jeremy Irons is. You should too, uh, because then you will absolutely enjoy the impression that he does on the podcast. Uh, so watch the Borgias, I guess. Um, Showtime, unofficial sponsor, watch the Borgias. Um, yeah, that's all I really have to say, I guess, but wow. Thanks for listening, and thanks for getting close.